Hello and welcome to the Charity CEO Podcast, the podcast for charity leaders by charity leaders, with candid, meaningful conversations that really get beneath the surface of issues. This show aims to inspire, inform, and deliver practical insights on the challenges facing charity leaders today, for the benefit of leaders across the sector and for those who care about the important work of charities. I'm your host, Divya O'Connor, and each episode I will be interviewing a charity chief executive who will share with us their insights, knowledge, and expert opinion on a particular topic or area of expertise. My guest today is the super smart Sarah Mitchell, CEO of Heart of the City. Sarah has just been appointed as the new CEO of Cycling UK. We recorded this episode before her new role was made public, and hence make no reference to it. Heart of the City is a charity working with small and medium companies to help them to develop a purpose beyond profit. Sarah has been with them since 2017. In this episode, we talk about what responsible business really means, the macroeconomic impact of the pandemic on small and medium enterprises, and what charity partnerships might look like post-pandemic. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Divya. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we're going to dive straight in with our icebreaker round, and this is about 60 seconds and some lighthearted questions for a little bit of fun, and the purpose of which is for our listeners to get a fuller picture of you as a person beyond your CEO role. So, so this is a bit I've been dreading most because I'm afraid you'll all discover what a boring person I am. So, but go ahead. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be fun. So I'm just going to set up our 60 second timer and let's get started. What was your first job? Ah, oh, my first job. I worked in a nursing home. What is your favorite book of all time? Oh, this is a really difficult one. I read so much. Um, I've got no idea. At the moment, I'm reading Alone in Berlin, which is excellent. Okay, well, that was going to be my next question, actually. What book are you currently <laughs> reading? So moving excellent. on. <laughs> What's your favorite sport? I do quite a lot of different sport. I think probably my number one is cycling, closely followed by open water swimming, which I've just discovered during lockdown. Ooh, so what's your favourite holiday destination then? Well, this is a bit of a dream at the moment, isn't it? Where could I imagine going on holiday? So if I could go anywhere at the moment, I actually don't think I'd go anywhere super exotic. I'd probably go somewhere like um, the countryside in France or Germany. That would be exotic for me at the moment. Well, that's our 60-second uh, timer just gone, but I ask you a bonus question. I'll hopefully be pleased now that the icebreaker round is finished. The pressure's over, yeah. <laughs> um, but our bonus question is, if you could interview anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and what one question would you like to ask them? Oh, no, that's a really difficult one. I can't believe that was just thrown in at the end there. Somebody I'd really like to interview. Well, there is somebody that kind of pops into mind, but it's a bit obscure. So it would actually be Michael Young. I don't know if you know about Michael Young, but he wrote a really interesting piece of sociology on the East End, which was a really well-known piece of work. He's also, I think, behind the founding of the Open University and was a real kind of innovative thinker in the charity sector before we had such a thing as the charity sector in, a, in the way that it's seen 
as, as the way that it's seen now. And I think I just really liked his way of looking at the world differently and finding innovative responses to it. So I'd be really interested to meet him if that were possible. But he's dead. Wow, uh, really interesting there, uh, Michael Young. No, I, I don't know much about him, but I shall certainly do some reading now that you mentioned that. Now to transition into our main discussion for today. Sarah, you are the chief executive of the charity Heart of the City. And at Heart of the City, you describe your mission as we inspire and embolden business leaders to build successful companies that make a positive difference to people, places, and the planet. So tell us more about your organization and its work. So we are a charity, but we're unusual in that we work almost exclusively with businesses. Um, We mostly work with small businesses, and we believe that any company can be a force for good, so they can make a positive contribution to society. So what we're not trying to do is we're not trying to turn businesses into charities, but we're helping every business to find some purpose beyond profit. So we work with a whole range of different industries, and we work across London, and we are now able to work with companies outside of London for the first time. And we provide them with the starting blocks, I suppose, on becoming a purpose-led or a responsible business. And what's really interesting about that is we work with loads of small businesses, and they're very entrepreneurial, they're quite inspiring, they're all very different. And also, we have a very unusual model in that we work with lots of really large companies, and we get them to help the smaller companies. So we form almost a kind of intermediary function, if you like between the large companies' expertise and the small businesses who are mentored by them and supported by them. Excellent. So in terms of the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on small and medium businesses, I mean, as we begin to come out of lockdown, there will undoubtedly be some businesses that are fared better than others. But what are you hearing from your members in terms of the key challenges that they have faced during this time? So it varies enormously from some industries that have actually done really well out of COVID-19 and the lockdown. So we've got one gaming company, for example, that's just been trying to cope with sales going through the roof to lots of companies that have either really struggled already and particularly thinking about hospitality and catering who've been really hard hit through this already to probably the sort of vast majority of the companies that we work with who are anxious feel like the potential pain hasn't quite hit yet because they've got a lot of staff on furlough. I mean, I imagine that a lot of charities are in the same position. There's this kind of period of prolonged uncertainty about what to do, what's going to happen over the next few months, what to do with your cost base. So I think a lot of companies are worrying about, can they reduce their costs? How should they reduce their costs? Thinking not just about staff, but about rent, redesigning their office space. But then the kind of other challenges which we're helping them to focus on, things like how do you develop your business going forward? How do you network and create new sales when you can't go to events anymore? That's a really big challenge. And then a lot of the softer work, which is also crucially important around supporting your staff. So when you're all working remotely, I think it's much more apparent that employers have a responsibility, but also it's in their own interest to support the well-being of their staff. So we think those are the kind of core challenges. And I think as people return more physically to work in physical office spaces, there'll be a whole range of other challenges that that appear. Understandably, this is a time where a lot of the small businesses are very much focused on survival and paying the bills. And I suppose charity engagement is not really top of mind. So 
the, the question I have is, what does this mean then for corporate social responsibility and sort of charity partnerships going forward? Do you think we will still see things like charity of the year, et cetera, in the next year or two? Yeah, so I think saying that it, it, charity partnerships aren't t- top of mind, again, it sort of depends on what the charity partnership is. So, for example, one of the large companies that we work with has an amazing charity partnership with the Red Cross. So they are obviously hugely involved in their coronavirus relief program across the whole of the UK, and that partnership has thrived. And it will be the same for other companies that have kind of coronavirus relevant partnerships, I guess. It's, they've really breathed new life into them in a way, or they're maybe doing slightly different things. So I think some charity partnerships will still be thriving, even through this difficult time. And those sorts of partnerships will still be at the top of the mind of those companies. Those companies will be so proud that they're part of those partnerships and they're working with those charities. But I think when we talk about coronavirus, a lot of the time when we talk about the economy and we talk about entrepreneurship, we often talk about this situation being an acceleration of existing forces. And I think that's the case in what we tend to call the responsibility, responsible business world or the corporate social responsibility world too. So I think there were a whole load of existing trends, if you like, that were already going through this sector and probably the coronavirus will accelerate those. And I think those do have an impact on charity partnerships because I think probably for the last two or three years, I've seen a change in work around charity partnerships in many of the large companies in particular. So there's a move away from the more traditional charity partnerships, which we might tend to think of about fundraising, big group volunteering projects, maybe a kind of annual turnaround of a charity of the year with the kind of beauty parade of three charities that you get to choose from for as a, as a large company. If you like a kind of mainstreaming of responsible business, so I guess less an exclusive focus on charities and a a kind of broader focus. So looking both at your place in the community through perhaps charity partnerships, perhaps in a different form, but also a real increase in focus on the environment. So looking at getting to net zero targets within companies, thinking about what companies can do to reduce their own environmental impact in lots of different ways, but also looking at staff well-being and workforce issues. So I think front of a lot of our minds at the moment is the focus on inclusion and diversity in the workforce in all sorts of different ways. But I think through the coronavirus, a real focus on mental health in the workplace has been a really big theme too. So I think charities that are working in those kind of thematic areas will see that companies are interested in working with them. I think the charity partnerships of the future may start to look a bit different so that they may be more like strategic partnerships where charities and businesses get together and think about what their own strategic vision is looking way ahead five, ten years time and think about how they can work together in a more collaborative way to achieve those goals. So it'd be less about a company kind of paying a charity to deliver those goals for them, but actually thinking about how can we both work together to make society function in a way that we want it to, which is a slightly different way of working. It's probably not necessarily going to yield the same sort of unrestricted cash income that charities might perhaps prefer at the moment. But I think it points to just a really different culture and way of working, which we might see over the next few years. Okay. So as the economic impact of the lockdown really begins to bite and a lot of companies are seeing their revenues and their sales decline, 
What advice do you have for charity leaders in terms of how they can keep those partnerships and relationships alive? I know this is going to be front of mind for loads of charity leaders because I think for a lot of people it's a really challenging situation at the moment and I appreciate corporate income can be really, really valuable. So I think the way that I would look at it is be really targeted. So I think some industries are going to be struggling a lot more than others. Some industries have actually done really well and will continue to do really well. So I guess my number one piece of advice would be think of which industries you're targeting, understand where they are in terms of their own finances and whether they're likely to have the headspace or the cash to be able to support the charity partnership, but also think about what their drivers are. So understanding what's in it for them, what are the drivers in different industries around the reporting requirements that they have, for example, on environmental issues? What are their drivers around around their staff? So around issues around inclusion, diversity, mental health, what's driving them to make those differences? And I think try to develop a relationship with those companies, understanding what they want to get out of it as well as what you want to get out of it. And I know lots of charity leaders do this already through their corporate programs, but I think there may be a kind of a a refocusing and a realignment on particular kinds of industries. And I think that companies are increasingly coming around to understand what impact is, non-financial impact. So I think this is an area where the charity sector is way ahead of the corporate sector, and it's something we should be really proud of. But I think we have a few things to teach them about how you measure impact and develop theories of change logic models. So I think being able to demonstrate really clearly and in a way that has lots of data um, to companies that you're really making a difference is, is really meaningful. So I would definitely encourage people to really focus on that. And then I think really focusing on those kind of key topic areas that you know those interests are, in, are interest, interested in is a really good opportunity too. So what I'm hearing, Sarah, is essentially all of the fundamentals of good corporate fundraising in terms of focus on relationships, looking at how you can together deliver impact uh, and really building or aligning, if you like, strategies for the longer term. All of those have just come into much, much more sharper focus in the current climate. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think we, we also just can't rely on those relationships being the same as they have always been because company's priorities will be changing. And I think, you know, we all have to just move at a much quicker pace than we have done in the past. So reassessing those relationships, reassessing those objectives on a regular basis, making sure that what we have to offer is fresh, it's relevant, it's responsive, and to show that we're still a really helpful and useful partner in that. Okay, so talk to us now a little bit about your own personal situation. What impact has the pandemic had on your organization and specifically on your leadership? I mean, how have you personally dealt with the crisis? So it's a really good question. I think I've spent about four months with lots of people checking I'm okay. So I had an awful lot of people saying, are you all right? Have you had a break? You know, how are you feeling? But I mean, it was definitely quite uh, an adjustment to start with. But I think Heart of the city is in a really strong position. We have really good reserves. We're really fortunate in that respect. We'd already got all our membership fee income in for the year before the coronavirus struck. So we're in a much better position than anybody else, I think, many of the other charities that you that you will know. Obviously, we moved all of our work online. For us, it was a lot easier because we already had laptops set up. So all of the kind of practical things were relatively easy for us to do. We have a big program of events, which we do at large companies all over London. 
we did a pretty quick job of moving all of that stuff online. So I think we'd kind of anticipated this was probably going to happen. So we'd been making sure that we had the right software to be able to deliver things properly quite quickly after the beginning of lockdown. But my team were brilliant. I mean, they were they're used to doing things at a moment's notice. So I think they did a fantastic job of making everything immediately very virtual and checking in with our members on a regular basis. And I think the bigger challenge for us is sort of looking to the future. So we did that kind of change quite quickly. Then we did a pivot of the sort of content that we offer. So traditionally, we've done the kind of core elements of responsible business. But we looked around at all of our members and realized that a lot of them are sort of struggling to survive now. And it seems that we should, we felt we should have a program that was a little bit more catering to their specific circumstances. So we developed a very quickly a whole new program of work, which we're calling Survive and Thrive, which is aimed at helping those companies to cope in the current circumstances. So it's got a lot of advice around flexible working, working from home, and then lots of more practical things like the legal implications of furlough. We've just done a great one on business planning, which was really helpful. And then communicating during the coronavirus, how you do that in a sort of sensitive way. So we had a whole range of different events, but also a whole program of resources that we set up on our website. So we pivoted our content and the way that we deliver it quite quickly. And I have to say, for me personally, that was a that was a really nice distraction at the beginning of lockdown. So to have this big, meaty project to see through, I think, actually, personally, I found really helpful. I think in terms of looking ahead, I think it's more challenging because you're trying to plan for a whole load of uncertainty. So we at the moment are doing um, a whole big project around trying to look three years ahead and let me tell you, that's probably one of the most challenging things I've done in a long time. So, but it's really interesting stuff. Yes, I completely agree with you in terms of those organizations, both in the charity sector and indeed SMEs that have really taken the opportunity to grasp the transition into the virtual world and the digital transformation that are going to come out the other side, so to speak, having a, a business or an organization uh, that is going to sustain for the longer term. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think we're also really lucky in that the people we work with are all online. So all of our businesses are online. They're working from home. They're quite happy to use Zoom. My previous job before Heart of the City was running a carers charity. And one of the challenges we had is that a lot of the people we work with just didn't go online. So everything still relied on being face-to-face and paper-based. And for charities working with that sort of group, it's, it's a real challenge, I think, to be able to do anything meaningful online. Yes, I totally hear what you're saying. So let's talk a little bit more about planning for the future, because I'm sure this is on the mind of every charity chief executive right now in terms of how do you actually make any plans for the future in the midst of so much uncertainty? And I'm also curious to hear, as a chief executive, how much time do you actually dedicate to looking at the external environment and scanning the horizon, so to speak, versus being focused internally and charting a course forward for your organization. How do you balance that? So it's something that I actually feel quite strongly about, and I don't think that we do enough of it in the sector. So it's something that I really try hard to do because I think um, it really helps you to be responsive and doesn't necessarily help you to predict the future, but it helps you to be prepared for a range of different things that might happen. So I actually have a bit of my diary blocked out every week for half an hour every week to just reflect on a bit of horizon scanning. So looking at what's going on, thinking about the implications for us. That's my normal 
weekly check-in with myself about it. But I also do work in a very fast-moving world in responsible business, so literally things change month to month. But I think under the coronavirus, I've spent a lot more of my time thinking about this. So straight away, I think even just before lockdown, thinking about what's our plan for the next three months. And then once we started our Survive and Thrive series, I was immediately thinking, what's next? What's in the autumn? But what I've been doing over the last month is doing a really interesting piece of work around scenarios planning. So this is something that businesses use quite a lot. And there is actually a really useful, quite old document produced by Cass Business School and NCVO called Picture This, which introduces scenario planning for charities, which I'd really recommend. It's basically to give some structure to your quite difficult thinking about the future. So I found myself sitting around with my notebook, writing down all of these different potential things that could happen that would affect heart of the city over the next three or five years. And I just kept basically came up with a kind of something between a nightmare and a risk register. And it really wasn't very helpful at all. But going through this process, I think is really helpful because it helps to structure your thinking, helps you to ask the right, the right questions. And it's a good way of getting a whole load of other people involved in developing that thinking too. And the outcome from that, I hope, will be that we look at a few different ways the world could look in five years' time. And then we help to prepare our charity for those different scenarios. And hopefully there'll be some patterns that we would do in any case. There might be some big bets that we want to take um, if we decide to go down a particular path. But we'll have done that through a process and a structure that I think helps me personally feel that the future is a little bit more under my control. I know it's an illusion, but it makes me feel better. (laughs) I completely understand where you're coming from. Yes. And certainly when I was in my chief exec role at Children with Cancer UK, I would do the same in terms of setting aside some time in the diary every Friday for reflection time. And it was really hard to actually keep that sacrosanct, but it was so important because the weeks that I actually took that time, I found that things were flowing much smoother and actually I could get more done uh, in terms of what the strategic priorities for the organization were. And also just for our listeners, we will include in the show notes a link to the resource from Cass Business School that Sarah mentioned for those of you who want some more details on that. Sarah, are there any positives that you would take from the pandemic? I mean, you've touched upon a few already, but what do you really hope changes for the future? So personally, I had a I had a great experience at, at the beginning of the pandemic of living in North London, suddenly having empty roads and people were out walking. And as somebody who commutes to work by bike all the time, I was so heartened to see suddenly all these new cyclists on the road. It was wonderful. So I think there's a part of my heart that still hopes that we've seen a way through for environmental impact reduction, and we're gonna we're gonna retain that memory of what it was like to have quiet streets and clean air, and yeah, save the uh, we're gonna hold that dream in our hearts, and we're gonna believe it's still possible for us to. Have have that. Quite difficult to believe at the moment when the roads are so full of cars again. But I think there's a, there is a kind of positive that we, I think we had a glimpse of a different kind of world. So that was, I think, in some ways for me personally, very positive. I think there's been a lot of positivity around community. I think people feel more embedded in their community. And I think from a responsible business or a corporate social responsibility perspective, that's important. I think companies see themselves as a part of a community where they're based and employees see themselves as a part of a community where they live in a, in a way that they didn't before. So I think that's a positive. I think that that's going to be helpful both for the charity sector and recognising that you're that you're not just a kind of faceless company, you're actually part of something bigger. I think there's been a really important recognition of inequality across the country. So inequality in all sorts of different ways in terms of income, in terms of health inequalities, in terms of ethnicity, access to different services. 
And I really hope that that affects some change in the future. Maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic, but I think that's a, that's a good thing that we've got that level of recognition. Just in terms of kind of practical work stuff, I've discovered some great digital tools. So I think this is a positive thing and I really hope we will continue to use them. And there are so many of them that are free and really, really good. So Miro is a great d- discovery for me. We're using Freedcamp all the time. Obviously, Zoom, which you can do all these amazing things with. So a lot of it's for free. And I think it's kind of, I think it's opened people's eyes. People are a little bit more accepting and interested in what they can do with digital. So I think there's loads of potential for the charity sector and for me and my organization in that. I found some positive things for you. That's good, isn't it? Excellent. <laughs> Looking back, then from the vantage point of where we are today, what advice would you give yourself on day one of your first CEO role? Yeah, good question. I think, you know what, the advice that I would give myself for that first day is don't try and do everything at once. So I think in my first job, I, I saw lots of things I needed to fix, but I didn't give myself any pace. And I tried to do everything really, really quickly. And I quite quickly realized that I couldn't work seven days a week. So I'm really strict now about my weekends. <laughs> and certainly uh, uh, maybe like two months into that, I said, I have to have at least one day off a week. This is ridiculous. So I think having pace, prioritizing, that is probably my number one message that I would give to myself. Yes, I hear what you're saying. I think there was a, an Akibo report a couple of years ago that said that most chief executives did on average at least 10 hours additional unpaid work, whether it was evening or weekends, uh, and that just seemed to be, be the norm. So I think setting pace, also as you are the role model, being the leader of your organization, actually you know, walking the walk and, and talking the talk, I think is really important. That is so important. And also you have to know yourself, don't you? And I know myself. I know I can't work 10 hours a day. I just can't. I won't concentrate. I'm much better working for a short period of time and really intensively. I do appreciate in these jobs, you have to work evenings sometimes and sometimes you have to work weekends. The point is you don't do it all the time. And I've spoken to so many chief executives during this period of lockdown who have been working constantly and got to the stage where they're just bursting into tears and they're really tired and they're really grumpy and they can't see straight. And that's not good for them, but it's not good for their organizations either. No, burnout Yeah, exactly. is not good for anybody. <laughs> so Sarah, as we are now coming towards the end of our podcast episode, I'd like to touch upon inspiration because I really think that we can all do with a bit more inspiration in our lives. So tell us, what is the best thing about being the chief executive of Heart of the City? What really inspires you about your organization? So... I think one of the most inspiring things about our organization is that it's got a huge number of people who really care about it. And I was I was sort of tempted to say our volunteers are the real inspiration about our charity. But I don't really think that's quite right. I think it's a much broader group than that. So Heart of the City was formed out of the Bank of England the City of London Corporation and the predecessors of the Financial Conduct Authority. So some quite eminent institutions 20 years ago. But over the years, it's sort of accumulated this group of people who, some of whom have worked in Heart of the City, some of whom have been our ambassadors, that that's our kind of volunteering network in large companies, some of whom have been on our board or trustee council members. We've got a huge kind of 
if you like a snowball of people who really care about the charity and are quite invested in the charity. And I think that's sometimes feels like a huge responsibility, but it is quite inspiring when you hear their stories about the things that Harcourt City's done over the years. So I think that kind of history and goodwill from a huge range of stakeholders is probably one of the most inspiring things about the charity. Do you have a story of something that inspired you recently that you could share with us? That inspired me recently? Hmm. So I guess probably the work that we're doing around Survive and Thrive. I think I was a little bit nervous about doing something slightly different, worried about what that big group of stakeholders might think about it. But I think I have been overwhelmed by the amount of support and excitement that people have have had about it and messages of support that we've had, but the real effort that our trustees have gone to to say what a great job we're doing. So I think sometimes that recognition itself can be can be really inspiring. And I think thinking about that more broadly, a lot of the inspiration that we get as an organization comes from the companies that we work with. So I think during this period, One of the really interesting things has been to see how small businesses have adapted under COVID-19. And it's been quite surprising and and quite inspiring in many ways. So I'm thinking of a particular hospitality company who wouldn't want me to say who they are because they're a little bit shy about talking about this stuff. But they're a catering company and they work with usually a lot of the large city firms. They do catering for black tie events and lots of formal stuff within those companies. And obviously, when all the offices closed down, they lost all of their work. But instead of just putting everybody on furlough and basically battening down the hatches, they decided they were going to use their kitchens, their skills, their staff to make meals for key workers. So they created this whole new area of work doing great meals, nutritious meals for key workers. And I thought that was really inspiring. So I don't think they made very much money out of it. But I think from their point of view, they had a big commitment to being a responsible business. And they saw this as an opportunity to do something in action about that. And I think that was that was really inspiring, particularly because they don't want to talk about it, which I think is astonishing, but they just feel like they don't want to get credibility for all kind of kudos for doing something like that. And you'll find that a lot of companies, actually, they probably do a lot more stuff that you never get to hear about than you'd realise. That is beautiful. I really think that challenge often brings out innovation. And I think that would be certainly for me the key message coming out of the pandemic is what opportunities have been presented through this sort of situation that we have all found ourselves in. I think that's true. And I think as charity leaders it's just really difficult to to do it, but we've got to kind of draw ourselves away from the current situation and try and think afresh about what we want to achieve, what our mission is. And are there different ways that we can go about that in the current situation and try not to be too attached to the way that we're doing things at the moment, which is always difficult. Yes. So on that note of inspiration, innovation (laughs) and impact, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Sarah Mitchell, CEO of Heart of the City. My next guest is Charlotte Hill the long-serving and founding CEO of Step Up to Serve. Charlotte is currently on secondment as Executive Director for Children and Young People to the BBC's Children in Need. Charlotte and I discuss the impact of the current crisis on young people, youth social action, and the hashtag IWill campaign. So look out for episode four of the Charity CEO podcast, which will be available in a few weeks' time. Meanwhile, 
If you enjoyed the show, please click the subscribe button on your podcast app and consider leaving us a five-star review. It will only take a few seconds and reviews really help make a difference to increase the visibility of the podcast and help spread the word. Visit thecharityceo.com website for full show details and to submit questions for future guests. Thank you for listening.